You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Tuesday, the 19th of September, 2023, with myself, Shajil Ahmed, and also Saad Ahmed as well. Assalamu alaikum, how are you doing this afternoon? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Shajil. So far, so good. Hmm. Alhamdulillah, the weather is looking a bit... You know, on the grey side today, mm. so it's cold outside. Last week was. I mean, really I think beautiful. the weather the weather is changing now. Oh yeah, now the weather is definitely changing, and uh, now autumn is coming. Autumn, I think we are in autumn. <laughs> it's not coming. We are. <laughs> we are in autumn. Last week, it. last week was so uh, warm. Yeah, it yeah. felt like it's summer. Still. I think that was the last sort of breeze of of the summer, and uh, now we have entered into the autumn well, season couple officially. Days, couple officially. of days back, it was so much thunder <laughs> going on at night. Yeah. That I had my windows open and just for the listeners out there, I forgot to close them and a gush of rain came inside right. around uh, 12, 11, 1-ish in the morning mm. and I was woken up by the wood. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so now it's time to pray the Utah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's how, you know, that's how the, we- the weather drastically yes, changes, changed suddenly. Yeah, especially here in the UK as well. One, one day it can be, or one whole week, it can be nice weather and then it just changes as well. But I mean, some people say there's no such thing as uh, as uh, climate change. Um, so, you know, cl- the climate is changing quite drastically as well. It's not subtle anymore. Yes. It's, uh, it is very drastic as well. Sometimes, you know, before we used to ease into the seasons, but now it's one day this, one day that. And, and suddenly uh, it changes know. something else. Then. So suddenly it changes as well. Um, talking about sudden changes, <laughs> we are talking about... Um, politics and how the thought process or th- or the mindset of uh, the population or the pop- the, pop- the wider population can change very quickly um, at the sway of politicians and specifically we're talking about here in Europe um, and what we're talking about in particular is the you know the far right groups yes and how much they are gaining popularity how much they're gaining their seats and how 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 they are sort of convincing the the wider population the inhabitants of a particular country to the, the, you know they, they can they can change their they can change their mood they can change their characteristics they can change their the way that they think their thought process the way that they view other people as well um you know some people may say that if this goes too much into the into that direction, into the far right, then fascism could also be another, um, you know, another fear which a lot of people are talking about as well. When you know, if politicians of or if politicians with this mindset come into play and it gains popularity as it is right now, yes, then that could be where we're heading as well. Hopefully, not. We hopefully don't repeat the same things as. You know, as, as the world wars as well. Which, you, know, which should you, you know, as the Europe has uh, been, have seen many you know presidential or general elections which have been taking place over the continent. You know, towards the end of May, this, for example, the Spanish uh, public headed to the region polls, and and uh, from Spain to Italy to Austria to Finland, and you name them. Yeah. Exp- um, expert researchers have, um, for example, found a, a pattern of which is now emerging. Among what's called recent, uh, um, among the recent elections recent now, elections, yeah. and the far right Id- um, ideals has become um, ever more re- um, um, popular and ha- and has slowly started to reach 
you know mainstream before it was it was unheard yeah. of a bit right but now because of our social media now hmm. the tech we have in in this day and age and they have gained so much popularity suddenly that yeah. everyone knows about them it's like you mentioned as well i mean this pattern would have been unimaginable almost almost 3 decades ago 25 yes. years ago someone talked about this they would say you know they would think them being quite bizarre yes. but now almost 25 years you know from today right if we talk about from 25 years ago far right populist freedom party the fpo won just under 27% of the popular vote and entered government in uh, in, in austria and this party at, at the time was headed by uh, jorg haider who son of two nazi sympathizers who furiously opposed immigration and islam throughout his political career and that's i mean this is what happened before as well mm-hmm. now haider claimed that uh, democracy and human rights it's is actually incompatible with islam and this is why we just why we're talking about this is why we're talking Indeed. about this as well to to address this issue because this is coming up again and the you know the afd alternative of deutschland and all of these sort of <laughs> parties they're coming into play and they they are gaining their seats they're gaining uh they're becoming more popular obviously but and also his policies did not just stop uh, at that very point hmm. he pursued a policy for example of um segregation in elementary um, schools between the ind- indigenous community in austria which did not speak a school um german and german speaking public so they were segregated from uh, elementary school at that time and yeah. at that time the, this sent shock waves throughout the, you know um the europe um leading several diplomatic uh, diplomatic visits to austria at that time hmm. and especially at the time of 2000 uh, austria's um, 14 eu partners had said that they will freeze um what's it called their bilateral uh, relations um with vienna yeah. if um hydrat's party um was uh, it continues um as it is and uh, so if almost 25 years ago you mm. know the rise of far right uh, populism was a foreign concept um what's it called uh, but what has happened suddenly that it has come more popular now yeah and that's right? that's you know that's what we that's what we're talking about um today as on hopefully we'll get some uh, some guests as well who will shed some light into this as well but because we other words so we obviously need to talk about Islam what Islam says in regards to this as well now the holy quran is very clear about this as well that uh, Allah the Almighty says in chapter 2 verse 13 create not a disorder in the earth now the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him who was the founder of Islam and he actually is reported to have said that love for one's country is a part of faith yes And it doesn't mean that uh, you know the, the country that you were born in it, it means it can mean a lot of different things it can mean the country that you were born in it can mean the country that you're living in mm-hmm. the country that you have emigrated to uh, the country that you have uh, you sort you know immigrated to uh, the country that you have gone to even as a visit yes. so wherever you are you need to respect the the laws of the land as well yes you know especially you know our the Ahmadi Muslim Youth Association when we stand up and pledge allegiance we always say i would sacrifice my life mm. my time and honor for the sake of my um 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 what's called a faith a nation and a, a country, country yeah. and nation yeah. so it, it is part of um is embedded within us so wherever we live we should l- um, respect and uh, you know uh, show love to the laws mm. um 
of the country we ha- we are residing in because they have given us the chance to practice our religion um uh, with freedom it's Im- it's important it's important that we that we do this as well because if we don't sort of uh if we don't serve the country then then then, then what are we going to be you know instead of progressing and trying to make the country a better place or more peaceful place a more uh you know cohesive and uh a nicer place to live in a more tolerant place we will be doing the opposite of that so this is why it's very very important and this is actually the teachings of islam as well but we'll talk a little bit more Indeed. about that uh, a little bit later on as well we we've got our first guest on the line with us professor brian uh who is an emeritus professor of criminal justice and director of the center of the study of hate and extremism in california state university peace be upon you good afternoon and welcome to the show professor thank you so much but i just retired so you'll have to call me emeritus next time ah yes yes but you you still have the expertise as well we want to uh, get in uh, you know get your thoughts uh, in regards to this as well brian um Okay, just to just to begin with, uh, as a court-certified expert, as I mentioned uh, on you know on extremism in the United States and Europe, could you provide a sort of an overview into the far-right extremism we we see in the United States and also Europe as well? So how, how much this is sort of trending these days? Yes, and what a great and timely question because just today, mm. German authorities outlawed a neo-Nazi skinhead group called the Hammerskins, which started in the United States decades ago and conducted raids throughout the country. And indeed, in in, in Germany, we've seen these kinds of raids and plots increasing. We've also seen this in various other parts of Europe. Hmm. Interestingly enough, this this neo-Nazism, this white supremacy, is transnational. And what we're seeing now, unfortunately, has been a chain of killers, some of whom target our our Muslim friends Mm. um, uh, throughout the world. And and it's not just Muslims. Uh, Part of this racist uh, diatribe that's been going around for more than a decade, but was really supercharged uh, about a dozen years ago, uh, has been these manifesto-type killings, which go after immigrants, people of color, or those who they think are supporting them. And one last interesting point before I before I get off this, we just came out with a st- we're just coming out with a study now, uh, with the latest data looking at hate crimes in American cities here in the United States, and the biggest increase last year, the biggest percentage increase was other race. And by the way. Anti-Muslim hate crimes uh, hmm. rose again for the second year in a row. So, hmm. unfortunately, the neo-Nazism, which targets other othering, xenophobia, immigrants, has frequently been used against people who are from the Middle East or who have uh, are who have of the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning as well uh, about this uh, the, the skinhead group in, in Germany, how that started off uh, in the United States as well decades ago. Um, what similarities are there then? Uh, similarities and also differences um, between the far right movements in in European countries, uh, with in regards to the United States. Great question. What we what we see is a different type of targeting. So in Europe, we're often seeing uh, people from the Middle East. Uh, from Pakistan, hmm. North Africa, uh, become targets. And it varies by country. So, for instance, 
France has a, a much larger North African and Muslim population than some of some of the other countries. But what I think is so interesting is that these kinds of bigoted stereotypes spread across the borderless internet. So we're seeing them. Uh, we're seeing these kinds of things come up as, as we saw as far away as New Zealand, Europe, United States, and Canada. Uh, and, indeed, a Canadian family was uh, murdered. Uh, in, in recent years, uh, with a, a car attack, and those and those trials are occurring now. So one of the things I think is so interesting is that there is a, um, a xenophobic response, but it varies by country. So in some places it'll be North African immigrants. Here in the United States, it'll it'll be uh, people from Latin America mm. and elsewhere. Yeah. So this anti-immigration. Um, uh, doctrine that says that uh, Europeans are being replaced has cachet in places not only in Europe, but in places like the United States, where where some whites feel, feel embattled. Hmm. That's interesting. Interesting. Um, what actually fans, uh, fans the, the fire then? I mean, what contributes to, to, to the growth of far-right extremism in, in, in these regions. I mean, talking about Europe in our show today, but, you know, you can talk about America as well, but does social media, as you, you mentioned as well, that there's a, there's a borderless sort of uh, system, when, and that is the internet, and that can also channel a lot of hatred as well. Does that, the social media, have a big part to play in this or is it just the politicians and uh, how they sort of present their manifestos? I think I think you're right on both counts. What I think is so interesting is how there are different strata. There's a spectrum of bigotry, and and it goes into the mainstream. Look, in twenty in 2015, we found that anti-Muslim hate crimes in the United States rose with the San Bernardino and Paris terror attacks. But then shortly thereafter, candidate Donald Trump proposed a a Muslim ban on immigration. And hate crimes against Arabs and Muslims increased another 23% in, in the week or two following that. So it's a combination of both the Internet and high-profile pundits and politicians, which sometimes sugarcoat, sometimes do not sugarcoat anti-Muslim prejudice. Indeed, in the United States, we had an array of right-wing presidential candidates uh, questioning the loyalty of Muslims and whether or not they should be in positions of authority or national security. Complete rubbish. But the, uh, unfortunately, mm. what these folks do is they exploit hatreds or conflicts that exist in the mainstream, and they know we're, what is most vulnerable, what groups are the most vulnerable to these kind of attacks, unfortunately. One, yeah. one last thing, real quick, that we've seen here in the United States. Attacks against non-Christian religions generally mm-hmm. have been going up the last couple of years. So now Sikhs here in the United States, are among the most targeted as well. One other quick thing. Authoritarianism and fascism often find in various countries, whether it's in Europe or even in India, Muslims as, um, as a, uh, exploiting anti-Muslim prejudice for, for, uh, for their own political means. So we're seeing that, unfortunately, in different <clears throat> parts of the world. Yes. So what should the government um, do um, and how should they respond to the challenges um, posed by the far right in terms of um, policy measures and law enforcement actions? 
Great question. Well, in the, in the U.K., Tell Mama is a wonderful organization that not only tracks hate crimes against Muslims, but other people as well. And what I think we have to do is reach out to communities, both geographically, but mm-hmm. also by what, what group they're in. Reach out. Have the government in various places. Like here in California, we created a, a commission on the state of hate. There's Muslim representation on it, and we want to reach out to those communities who might be targeted, but targeted in silence. So the big thing I think we have to do is coordinate between government and uh, community groups, particularly community groups of faith, uh, so that these kinds of victimizations do not go uh, unaddressed. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we have to hold politicians up to a standard where Islamophobic bigotry is not acceptable. Last thing, when we know there's some kind of international conflict or terrorist event, that will reverberate and extremists will use that to, uh, to tar the overwhelming majority of our Muslim brothers and sisters who are, are wonderful and peaceful. But we have to stand with the Muslim community in all the different countries, uh, whether we're Muslim or not. And showing showing that this is not acceptable and that, indeed, in the United States, when President Bush, six days after 9-11, said Islamophobia was un-American, hate crimes dropped the very next day and they dropped into the next year. Conversely, in the 2016 elections, we saw anti-Muslim hate crimes go up uh, through a combination of news about terror attacks as well as the exploitation of Islamophobic bigotry by politicians, national ones, who should certainly know better. Indeed. So what kind of policy changes or um, law changes should there be made um, to combat the rise of far rights, be in Europe or in in the United States? Um, The first thing is it has to be on the radar screen of authorities. And in the United States, it's mixed. Certainly, this administration is is very concerned about it, Mm -hmm. but in the last administration, not so much. So what we have to do is have a consistent response to these kinds of criminals. And let me tell you something. The United States, since 2018, white supremacists slash far right have been responsible for the overwhelming majority of extremist-motivated homicides in the United States, and we have to start treating it like that and recognize, too, that it's a transnational problem and that not every extremist group is a card-carrying swastika uh, carrier, but there are those that are mainstream, that, uh, that are in the mainstream of socio-political life in many countries that promote conspiracy theories and false stereotypes about our Muslim brothers and sisters. And that has to stop. So it's got to be from a governance standpoint, but it's also got to be from a civics and education standpoint that includes inclusion and outreach to our, our friends in the Muslim community. Professor Professor Brian Emeritus, uh, Professor, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your expertise with us. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure and very, very enlightful uh, as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. We stand with the Muslim community worldwide against bigotry and hatred. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for that. That, I mean, that's uh, that was a great that was a great interview indeed um, uh, with Brian there and uh, talking to him, getting his uh, insight in regards to this as well. And, and it's it's good to see that people who you know scholars, you know, people of knowledge. I mean, he was he used to be a pro- I mean, he was a professor, emeritus professor, a retired professor, right? So it's good to see that people like him are there who are open minded. They see 
uh, what the teachings of Islam actually are, and they know they don't just look at the media what the media is trying to portray, and they don't just look at the the bigots, they don't just look at the you know sometimes the politicians, correct, and uh, well they they actually you know have a thought process for themselves. They're not just sheep and bl- and follow blindly wherever they they they. They, 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 they the data that you put in, yeah, the, whatever they hear or whatever they see on the newspapers or on the TVs, but they actually look at, you know, the, the actual teachings. And these are the teachings that we're talking about today Indeed. as well. No, that's the thing. Um, when we spoke with him, hmm. it was so uh, enlightening to understand it, it in depth what far right stands for, how it's um, how has it started, and what are similarities, the differences between them be throughout Europe and United States, and what um, have they been targeting hmm. for the past um, decades now. Exactly. So you know, it's exactly. always good to have an expert, you know, um, speaking about it, so our, even ourselves and our listeners hmm. can learn us uh, learn more about it. That's why you know these. Um, topics when they come on Voice of Islam, you're like, what? Voice of Islam so speaking about it's about far rights yeah. or something, let's say climate change yeah. or other topics about, let's say, ULES. We had topics about uh, so many different topics. Mm-hmm. It's about education, getting the word out so people it's about awareness, know about it? it. It's about awareness. Yes. One one thing, I know our next guest is on the line as well. Just before we get him on, there's a verse in the Holy Quran which says that if you kill someone, Right, and yes. that person was an innocent person. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't create any disorder in the earth. Even if you kill one person unjustly, right, that is like killing the whole of mankind. mankind indeed. But on the other hand, if you save a life, just one life, that is the same as you know, if, if as if you've given life to the whole of mankind. Correct. And uh, this is the teachings of Islam. People think that Islam is, uh, you know, uh, a bigoted, uh, you know, nation or a religion and. People who are followers of Islam, Muslims, they, they, they are just war hungry and they want to shed your blood and they want to convert people by force. That is absolutely not the case. But we'll talk about that a little bit later Indeed. on as well. Let's speak to our next guest, uh, Professor uh, Rodriguez uh, uh, Aguilera de Prat. Hopefully I didn't pr- mispronounce your name, but uh, thank you so much for joining. Peace be upon you and welcome to the show, Professor. Uh, thank you to you. Thank you so much. So you're an emeritus professor of uh, political science at the University of Barcelona in Spain. Thank you, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to to interview you as well. But uh, just to begin with, for the benefit of our listeners, your previous research has found that far right parties are not uh, homogenous; and th- mm-hmm. they do vary. So can you tell us a little bit more about this as, as well? Provided sort of you know provide us with a little bit of an overview on how far right parties. Um, in general differ? Yes. Uh, the main difference uh, between the parties of the far right in Europe is connected with their historical origins. In other words, on the one hand, the neo-fascist parties uh, and uh, on the other, the new populist radical right parties. Nevertheless, these historical differences are less relevant today. In the European Parliament, there are two Eurogroups, uh, uh, of uh, far-right parties, European conservatives and reformists, very traditional, traditionalist, and uh, identity and democracy, more openly populist. But now, in uh, European conservatives, are parties with historical neo-fascist roots, like Brothers of Italy or Vox in Spain, mm. and other strictly ultra-conservatives, as the Polish law and justice. In the same way, in identity and democracy are neo-fascist parties, as the French National Rally, although Marine Le Pen is trying to moderate this profile, 
and others with a very different origins, like the Italian Lega. At the end, both Eurogroups are very similar and share almost all policies, in mm. my view. Mm-hmm. So, talking about uh, historical factors or events which have contributed to the resurgence of the far rights uh, in Europe, how has this sort of gained more popularity in, in recent years? In my opinion, there are three big causes that explains the revival of the far-right parties in Europe. First, the xenophobia. Second, the chauvinism. And third, the anti-political populism. In more detail, the rejection of the uh, extracommunitarian migrants is the key factor that explains the electoral success for this kind of parties. It's very easy to attribute unfairly to these minorities a lot of problems, the unemployment, the criminality, the damage of the welfare state, and so on. Mm. The globalization and the Europeanization have also a negative part of this and has favorished a civic retirement into the nation. So there is a revival of an ethnic nationalism very aggressive and uh, exclusive, that nourish fur and uh, reject uh, multiculturalism and give strong support for a mythic, homogeneous nation. Finally, there is a deep crisis of the political representation. The traditional parties of the establishment, from the right or from the left, seems not can or not would change uh, the big economic policies because the power of the untouchable markets. Yeah. Also, we can add the very negative impact in the society of the corruption scandals. This is why the populist parties are growing. Now, Professor Cesareo, we've, we've spoken about, uh, or you've spoken about European uh, countries as well, and how f- how the far right movements in Europe they've uh, sort of gained popularity as well. And you've given a few examples. Just talking about other places in the world as well, do they? Do they also match the same pattern, or mm-hmm. is it a little bit different as well? The far right politics elsewhere in different countries could be in America, could be in um, you know Asian countries or anywhere else. Uh, let me to compare uh, Europe and uh, other uh, parts of the world. In Europe, not all the far right parties are exactly the same, but share a majority of policies. In this sense, Europe mm-hmm. has a specific dynamics and peculiarities. For the, uh, for the far-right parties, the main problem is uh, to decide, decide what to do with uh, the European Union. The Brexit disaster mm, destroyed to follow this way, and this is why the far-right parties have renounced to leave the European Union and now are in favour to come back to the old common market without political supranational powers. In other parts of the world, parties and leaders of the far right are also growing, uh, where parties in government with uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil or with uh, Duterte in Philippines, and now are in government with Modi in India or Putin in Russia. Mm-hmm. In Argentina, Milei could be the next president, and uh, it's not impossible that uh, Donald Trump could be the next president of the United States. Mm. Interesting. Interesting, yeah. So, um, what impact um, did the um, rise of far right in Europe have on international relations and alliances, especially with the European Union? Very interesting question. When the far right parties obtain the government or have possibilities to have influence in it, this has obviously impact in the international relations. 
Some far-right parties were enthusiasts of Putin, for instance, Marine Le Pen or Matteo Salvini, yes. but because the Ukraine war, they have to freeze this support. In general, the far-right parties are not against NATO, and only the Hungarian, Viktor Orban, is a bit reluctant. Mm -hmm. The far-right parties are firmly opposed to the federalization of the European Union, and they ask in favor of back to the states some communitarian powers. This has a deep impact on the European project and intensify the difficulties in order that the European Union could be a relevant international actor with more weight, because a lot of foreign affairs need the unanimity of the 27 members. Mm -hmm. So, Professor, you know, in your assessment, you know, the great work you have been doing and the knowledge you have, what is the future trajectory um, of the far-right movement in Europe? In the European elections of uh, uh, 2019, was a worry for the forward of the far-right parties. But the increase of participation for the first time until 1979 elections blocked this possibility. So it's evident that the far-right parties are consolidated, and it is very unlikely that they could disappear. But neither have guarantees of more success. In my opinion, mm -hmm. it is possible to stop their growth with uh, policies that connected with citizens. citizens. More exactly, first, it's essential that moderate and progressive parties increase the quality of the democratic institutions in all the 27 members and the European Union. In other words, more transparency, more participation, more pluralistic debate, and with a very implacable fight against corruption. Second, it will be very convenient to modify the present financial and economic policy of the European Central Bank, because seems to come back to the austerity receipts. This is the opposite way to obtain social consent. So the best option is to reinforce the social Europe, the Europe that protects, the Europe that cares. And third, finally, it is compulsory hurt the citizens and mm -hmm. also to reinforce the, the weak feelings of Europeanists. We need much more to build a united Europe in a cultural and emotional terms. All of these questions will be essential in the crucial European elections of June uh, 20, uh, 2024 mm -hmm. and next year. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Professor, for, for joining us today and enlightening us with your wisdom and the um, obviously the great work you have been doing and to get the uh, research and the uh, words out there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. So bye, this, bye bye. Thank you. This so this was Professor Rodriguez. Uh, he was a, he was a emeritus um, professor of political science hmm. at the University of Barcelona. I don't know how to you know so you can say Barcelona in such, a, such, such in such a beautiful way, and <laughs> he is you know he has also you know published twenty books mm. and more than fifty articles uh, in specialized reviews and thirty chapters in collective books, and he has also done research in academic center of Rome, Turin, Milan, Florence, Paris, Lyon, London, Edinburgh, Brussels, Mannheim, mm. and Montreal. His work was. A, um, and, and his main work are, dedi um, are dedicated to comparative politics, political theory, political parties, and European inter inter integration. Yeah. And yeah. you know, uh, just, I think just, just I think just it's, it's a small part of, of of the work Professor Rodriguez has been doing, and he's been uh, been doing a lot more than this. And 
the, the, that is why you know even we have um, experts like him uh, for example professor rodriguez or even professor brian who came on mm. earlier than him yeah to get the information to the listeners so they they understand what's been happening in the world and even ourselves we are also enlightened by the by the by their wisdom exactly exactly now talking you're talking about the the teachings of islam as well because Indeed. obviously the whole pur- the whole purpose of this also is to to educate the wider population about the teachings of islam correct now another golden principle for the establishment of peace is given in the holy quran in various different places one other example as we're talking about today is uh, from chapter 49 verse 10 where it states that if there is dispute between nations or groups third parties should unite and seek to bring about a peaceful resolution to the conflict now if a peaceful resolution is is, is not possible the nations should stand shoulder to shoulder with one another in an effort to stop the cruelties and injustices that are occurring mm-hmm. now if the world understands the true value of this principle then there will be there will you know there is still time for mankind to escape the clutches of future war as well this is what his holiness has mr masrur ahmed may allah be his helper who is the current head and also the fifth caliph of the promised messiah uh, addressed the dignitaries at sweden's member of parliament in may 2016 and uh, given his you know guidance given by his holiness on how to correctly handle other people's views that we may that we may not disagree that we may not agree on and we may have a disagreement on that as well so this is one way in which um, you know if parties nations they have disputes how can they resolve that those issues those problems as well and this is why you know sometimes you know nations they they take upon themselves to make drastic measures and they don't have uh, you know they don't consult other people they mm-hmm. look at or they look at what good things other nations are doing but they don't copy that in their own nation as well but you know it's important that we learn from other people Correct. it's important that we learn from other people we learn from our own mistakes if we had done something wrong in the in the past let's try and you know fix those problems as well now his holiness um may allah be his helper the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as is Mirza Masrur Ahmad he uh, addressed dignitaries uh, the wider public as well uh, at the annual annual convention in Germany 2018 where he spoke about far right groups and the solution which Islam gives in regards to in regards to this as well how we can sort of bring about a positive change and establish a peaceful uh, you know a, a peaceful not just a country not just a continent but a whole world with the teachings of Islam as well so let's listen to what his holiness um said to the dignitaries over there as well in recent times here in germany and in several other western countries the far right has gained prominence and seen its membership rise the root cause for this distressing trend is that the indigenous citizens in these nations are becoming increasingly resentful and frustrated they are feeling neglected and as though their rights are not being protected by their leaders and governments unquestionably a major factor fueling their anxiety has been the influx of immigrants to many western nations in recent years 
This has certainly been the case here in Germany, which has taken far more refugees than any other European country in recent times. As a result, many local people are afraid that their societies are changing beyond comprehension, and they feel that their nation's, nation's resources are being disproportionately utilized in favor of immigrants. Whilst the term immigrant is used, the real issue for most people is Islam. And the fact that the vast majority of immigrants to Europe are Muslims fleeing from war-torn countries in the Middle East. Thus, when the far right and their supporters raise rallying calls against immigration, their actual target is Islam. And their objective is to stop Muslims from entering their nations. They view Islam as incompatible with Western values and, stri and strive to propagate their belief that Muslims are unable to successfully integrate into the Western, uh, into the West and are a threat to other citizens. Further, many non-Muslims believe Islam is Islam to be a religion of extremism and imagine that those Muslims who immigrate will be extremists or religious fanatics who will spread poison in society, incite division and disturb the peace and well-being of their nation. Certainly, this sense of alarm has spread to some parts of this country, especially in Eastern Germany. Thus, there have been moves and campaigns to ban the building of mosques. We, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, have not been immune to such opposition, whereby some groups here in Germany have actively campaigned against us and endeavored to stop us building new mosques. They have campaigned against us, even though our motto is love for all, hatred for none. And despite the fact that for almost 130 years, our community has been at the very forefront of prom promoting peace, brotherhood, love and compassion in all parts of the world. Our history testifies to the fact that wherever we have built mosques or become established, the fears of the local people have soon evaporated. Those who initially viewed us with suspicion have quickly become our loyal friends and sincere supporters. Throughout the world, our neighbors happily attest to the fact that Ahmadi Muslims are people who promote peace in society and who spread only a message of love, 
compassion and human sympathy. Yet, due to the dire state of the Muslim world at large, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has also uh, had to suffer the consequences. Another charge raised by those opposed to widespread immigration is that uh, immigrants are prone to sexually abusing or harassing women. Sadly, a recent report suggest, suggested that this high proportion of rapes or attempted rapes in one Western country were committed by immigrants. God knows better if the figures are accurate, but when such reports are made public, in, it affects other nations as well. And the concern and fears of local people continue to rise. Another point that many parties and politicians have focused upon is their tax burden required to resettle immigrants. Aside from their day-to-day -day living expenses, infrastructure costs resulting from large-scale immigration are vast and so the financial burden on the state is considerable and it is ultimately taxpayers who fund this. People who have lived their lives and paid their taxes in a country are justified to ask whether it is fair that their contributions to the state are spent on resettling foreign immigrants as opposed to funding projects that are beneficial to ex existing citizens. I do not dispute that these are valid issues and real causes of concern. And if they are not dealt with wisely, tensions in society will continue to increase. Additionally, wherever there is large-scale migration, it inevitably leads to security issues. Indeed, it has been proven that hidden amongst the genuine refugees are immigrants who have the potential to cause great harm. For example, just a few days ago, a, few, a female refugee living in Germany, who in the past had been kidnapped and kept as a slave in Iraq, was interviewed. She told how she was shocked and horrified to see that her captor, a member of the terrorist group, was now also living freely in Germany, having come here under the pretense of persecution. This is something I have warned about in the past, that each case should be carefully analyzed to ensure that extremists or criminals posing as refugees are not allowed to enter. Anyway, these issues mean that the fear of mass immigration from Muslim countries is to some extent justified. Yet, on the other, hand, other side, it is necessary for a fair-minded, intelligent, and wise person to look at both sides of the story.
and not just base his or her impression of Muslims and Islam upon hearsay. Merely because someone brands Islam a religion of extremism, or claims that all Muslims are terrorists does not make it true. Rather, it is vital to assess the facts rationally and objectively before reaching a conclusion. Hence, before reaching a def definitive conclusion about whether Islam's teachings are of an extremist nature, you should investigate and see what the truth is. Analyze whether the, the wicked acts of some so-called Muslims are motivated by the teachings of Islam. Consider whether Islam really does permit extremism or does it prescribe severe punishment for those who spread disorder and hatred? Does Islam permit Muslims to break the laws of the land in, uh, in the name of their faith? What expectations does Islam place upon Muslims in terms of their conduct in society? Does Islam encourage Muslims to burden the state or does it encourage them to work hard, to be loyal and to contribute positively to the society in which they live? If it is proven that Muslims who do wrong are motivated by their religion, it can be said that the concerns of the far right are justified. Yet, what if their actions have nothing to do with Islam? What if anti-Islamic groups are spreading hateful myths that are based only on fantasy rather than fact? In the short time available, I will mention a few points that I hope will help answer some of these questions and enable you to understand the true essence of Islamic teachings. Firstly, a basic Islamic principle is that where a Muslim aspires to live peacefully, he must also endeavor to provide peace and security to others. People often speak of the wars fought in the early Islamic and uh, Islam and suggest that they approve that Islam is a bloodthirsty religion that permits force and compulsion. Yet, in reality, the early Muslims endured 13 years of brutal and sustained persecution without retaliating in any way. Only after that long period did Allah the Almighty permit them to defend themselves, and this permission is mentioned in chapter 22, verse 40 and 41 of the Holy Quran, which have just been recited before my address in front of you. In these verses, Allah the Almighty said that those who had been persecuted and driven out of their homes were permitted to defend themselves from further cruelty and oppression. However, the Holy Quran further states that if the Muslims did not defend their religion, then churches, temples, synagogues, mosques, and all other places of worship would all be in grave danger. So, permission was granted to protect the right, rights of all people to live their lives freely and according to their beliefs. 
in chapter 10 verse 100 of the holy quran whilst addressing the holy prophet of islam peace and blessing of allah be upon him allah the almighty states that if he desired he could have enforced all uh, enforced his will and compelled everyone to accept islam however instead allah the almighty preferred free will to prevail Likewise, in chapter 10, verse 30 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states that Muslims should openly preach their message and proclaim Islam to be a truthful religion. Yet, at the same time, the Quran also states that every person is free to accept or reject it. The verse states, let him who will believe and let him who will disbelieve. In the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty also refers to those non-Muslims who admitted that Islam was a peaceful and benevolent religion, yet they refused to accept it because they feared that embarking upon a path of peace and compassion would harm their material interests. Chapter 28, verse 58 of the Holy Quran states, And they say, if we were to follow the guidance with thee, we should be snatched away from our land. This is the true picture of Islam. It requires every Muslim to live peacefully and to contribute to their society. Unquestionably, those Muslims who claim jihad means to attack non-Muslims or to forcefully convert them are manifestly wrong. Such beliefs and attitudes have nothing to do with the teachings of Islam. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, very beautifully, His Holiness, the, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, very profoundly and eloquently Indeed. telling us the, the teachings of Islam. Isn't Indeed, it? You, you know, not just at that, this occasion, yeah. His Holiness mentioned this, but also many, many different, many occasions, different right? ones. For example, exactly. you know, whilst referring to the multiple terrorist attacks which happened in 2016 in France and Belgium, mm, yeah. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad uh, mentioned. Uh, this in the annual convention which happened in Germany also and he, and he said naturally such attacks have frightened members of the public and instilled a fear of Islam within the hearts and minds of the locals yeah. it is a tragedy, a tragedy um, of the highest scale that these attacks are being associated with Islam because such atrocious um, um, atrocities are the polar opposite of what Islam st stands for. Exactly. Also, you know, referring to the refugee crisis in Europe, you know, His, Maholis, His Holiness mentioned this. As a result of the cri um, refugee crisis, Europe has instantly become a more dangerous and unstable place, as it has created an opportunity for terrorist groups to send their members to this continent, posing as refugees. Hmm. Apart from any attacks they themselves are involved in, such extremists um, also seek to spread their network of terror by radicalizing Muslims already living in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. Another uh, negative consequence um, of the refugee crisis has been the hardening in attitude towards you know, immigration across um, Europe. In many countries, we are seeing far-right nationalist parties gaining influence and popularity. No. You know, and His Holiness also, you know, um, offered a solution in order to create more positive um, views. You know, also hitting the end of the hour. Also, yeah. so I, I would like to finish on this. What His Holiness has um, said, how we can um, um, off, um, offer a solution. So the authorities should seek 
to help genuine immigrants settle, uh, settle here and to stand up on their own two feet. Um, immigrants should not simply take benefits from the country they uh, migrate to. Rather, they should be encouraged to enter the labor force and actively contribute to society as soon as possible. Mm. In my view, this would have an instant, uh, instantly positive effect and would lessen the um, perilous gulf that is open up between um, existing um, citizens and my immigra- immigrants. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, so the, this is solution. is solution has mentioned that you know, as soon as migrants come here, um, the government should h- help them become a part of a labor force, so they they, they themselves can start earning f- for themselves and then they, for the bread and butter instead of asking government to provide them with some kind of incentives or benefits, um, which exactly. will be a burden on the government. Now, th- I mean, this is this is an ongoing topic as well. Indeed, uh, we've done many topics about this uh, in the in the past. And we will continue to do these topics as well. And like we mentioned in the beginning, this is to raise awareness. Correct. And educate the, the population, educate the people what is happening and what the solution is, what the teachings of Islam actually are. And once we realize the actual true teachings of Islam and what they actually stand for, the, the values that Islam actually upholds, then we can understand and educate the wider public that, you know, what you think of Islam is actually the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And... The solution to all the world problems that we are facing today, we do have the solution, and that is in the teachings of Islam. And we've just given you a flavor of that as well, um, but uh, hopefully sometime uh, in the future we will talk about it later on as well. Join us after the news where we go. We will go to our next topic. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to the second hour of today's Drive Time show. And we were just building up, you know, the excitement and getting the words out which the guest said and even His Holiness said regarding, you know, um, Islam or his, his interfaith dialogue which was happening exactly. and getting this message out there. And the second hour is about interfaith dialogue, building bridges and understanding, um, of understanding. You know, this is a such a important and a vast thing that we should come together and have a th- say about it. And you know, for example, I went there. So I'm just going a bit off topic, I think, here again. But I w- I was out there doing um, leafletting, and that's also a kind of interfaith dialogue. Hmm. And I went to outreach. Uh, outreach, yeah. yes. So I was going. I went up to a Christian a preacher there, and. It was my very first time, and I was I was quite young still. I was going, I, I went up to him. I was like, you know, this is stated in the in the Bible, and this is stated in the Bible. And he could, say, he's like, what do you mean? And he and he was like, okay, but we have also this, this, and this, because I was I was trying to put allegations out there, right? Because mm. I was like, no, no, this is how you do it. But then after, then obviously, wisdom comes through. You start understanding how to build bridges. Actually, it's not through um, um, allegations. And but it's through um, getting the common sense together also mm. first, mm. and then you can see where the differences are. Okay, you can talk about them afterwards. But first, it's uh, coming together on 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 a common ground first. And then there was an elderly person with me. He's like, "Beta, beta means son. Beta, this is not how you do it. This is you should speak to him in a polite and a love loving manner, and to, uh, making bridges first, mm. and then you go on with it. And then obviously, uh, I spoke with them for a lengthy uh, time." got his number we spoke afterwards also and 
once I needed some reference regarding the Bible and I messaged him also, uh, brother, I need some help here. Can you send me some reference regarding um, what I'm looking for? And he was gracious enough to send them over to me. And this mm. is how the um, um, what's called friendship started also. So this is um, what interfaith dialogue is all about. Exactly. Building bridges and, and, and of understanding. We do. I mean, we do have so many f- different faiths. Yes. People follow different faiths. People follow different religions. People come from different places, and uh, you know, that is something which uh, you know. Sometimes we see that we say that you know you're from a different religion, you're from a different place, you're from a different nation, whatever, and that is something that divides us. Okay, fine. Maybe it is there to dif- make a differentiate between us and something that's there to 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 sort of say that you know I'm from here you're from there that's fine but like you said we need to look at the common things the common mm-hmm. ground and once we once we look at those things which are common between between us then we can form that 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 that, that alliance we can form that that dialogue as well if we're always just looking at th- th- looking at it in this perspective that you know I'm superior you're inferior correct and I am right you're wrong that is not the way forward you, you can't do that doesn't matter if you are right and the other person is wrong you know you can't always you can't always say that no no you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong and the, with that you're not building bridges you're actually burning you're, bridges yeah you're burning the bridges and you're making you're erecting walls so it's not it's not a good thing it's not a peaceful place especially where we are in a we live in a global village Indeed. we we can have we can communicate with people around the world at the tip of our fingers and to get information from here and there from different parts of the world from across the globe is you can do that from literally seconds. So where we're so interconnected with one another, whether it's physical or whether it's online, whether it's social, via social media, we need to, you know, we need this dialogue. Mm-hmm. We need to have a tolerance with one another. Mm-hmm. We need to be at peace with one another as well. Indeed. We need to be able to talk to one another, to listen to one another and yeah. that's these are some things which are very very much important indeed you know our world is you know is, is the birthplace of many faiths and it has accommodated and nourished multiple um, religions yes it has provided a common roof to um, major religions and for their um, susten- sustenance and growth and their growth as well yeah. and you know the term interfaith dialogue and refers to the positive and cooperative um, interaction between religious uh, faith and spiritual beliefs with the aim of promoting um, understanding between you know different religions and to un- in- increase the um, acceptance and tolerance and you know it's, um, uh, since its inception islam um through the the, the holy prophet peace and blessings will be upon him Sorry. has um, interacted um with uh, non muslims at that time and uh, and like most religions it um it lays great um, importance on um tolerance and brotherhood in the holy quran allah the almighty has stated o mankind indeed we have created you um, from male and female and made you and um, peoples uh, and tribes that you may uh, know one another mm. indeed the most noble of you um, in the sight of Allah is the most righteous of you indeed Allah is knowing and um, um, acquainted, acquainted. Yeah. you know this is mentioned in chapter uh, 49 verse 14 mm. and now you know this verse tells us that as you just as you just quoted that verse it tells us that you know we are different from from one another correct and uh, but it's important to not fight 
it's important it's important to not argue but to understand and even celebrate our differences yes uh, we need to realize that we must stay united as a wider community not in spite of uh, but because of our diversity you know we need to understand that the are uh, the differences that we do have this is a very beautiful thing it's you not know, something that we can have a sort of a superiority complex over, over as well you know, in, in in this verse where well, Aladdin just mentioned the word litarafu, which mm. means you know, uh, you may know one another. Exactly. This, exactly. this is obviously we have mentioned many times before, also in many different um, um, shows of ours. Yeah. But this is actually so you know one another. So this is what inter inter interfaith dialogue. It doesn't state here that you sh um, or it should become superior suddenly. Did mm. you're right? And you did, this is how you do, should do dialogue. But in actual. Making um, what's it called tribes and what's it called um, and, and yeah. people, uh, uh, so you can find out who you are, what who they are, what they do, and where they're from, and mm. then you understand what they have been taught, and then you teach them what what we have learned so far, and then you build bridges, and then you see where the differences are, and then you work on them also. Now, what does what exactly does dialogue even even mean? So the word dialogue is actually derived from dia, which means across or through, and logos, which is which means conversation or word. Now, Webster's Dictionary simply defines dialogue as a conversation between two or more people. Mm -hmm. Now, perhaps that is you know as, as its simplest, dialogue is a discussion in which there is a respectful and open interchange of views with the intention of greater cooperation. And understanding as well, so it's important to talk to one to talk to one another, but also to listen to one another as well. There's no point of two parties just talking, 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 and no one's even listening, right? So you you talk, the other person listens, and then it's your turn to talk, and the other person listens, and it's you know it's it's something that you do so that you can cooperate more than one another, more with one another, Indeed. and so that your your relations can actually grow more. Stronger, uh, as well. Now, informal dialogue, you know, occurs day to day, um, in our course of daily life. For example, between classmates, co-workers, you know, at lunch with parents, children. Um, but as people become friends uh, with others of you know of of different faiths and different beliefs mm -hmm. to their own, this may lead to discussion about their own faith as well, and how this is practiced and what it means in their lives as well. This is why. From the grassroots levels, it's important that we have this, you know, have this maintained in us as well, that we are able to do this in sure. the first place. So we have with us um, our first guest of this hour is Baudev Kinder, who um, Baudev works for a great, um, greater community cohesion and is from a Punjabi Indian background. He grew up in Bedford, UK with a lot of friends from diverse communities and religions. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be, on you, uh, peace be upon you, Baudev. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Balikum Khan. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Very nice to be on your program. I've been listening to some great words of wisdom earlier on. <laughs> Thank you so much for such kind words. Um, Baldev, you know, I wanted to ask uh, this question. What commonalities um, have you discovered with people um, who hold religions, uh, religious beliefs different? Oh, yes. No, that's a very nice question, actually. Yes. Um, I, I believe, you see, the, thing, the situation is that because we are now living in an age where we have dialogue in the same language. Correct. 
it's very important to to be able to understand each other and uh, you know we are talking now today in england english and i find that uh, when we start talking on the on the same language one of the big problems is between in religion is that we don't understand what the other person is saying and once we start understanding and what i have discovered is that my belief and the person next to me or whoever it may be whether they're christian or whether uh, islam or whether they're buddhist or whether they sikhs whichever background they come come from you know in mm-hmm. bedford we have such a, a, a diverse community Indeed. there's no there's no one big community of one particular faith we we have such a big diversity and we talk to each other and we realize that we have so much in common you know there, there's there is so much in common and uh, one of the biggest thing is that we we are suddenly realizing and slowly accepting that there is only one god Indeed. we we may we may choose to worship this one god in whichever way our own religion has taught us and this this is this is the, once we start accepting this commonality and we visit each other's faith and you know i'm fortunate that in my life i i've had the opportunity to visit and be part of interfaith and be part of a uh, council of faiths in in bedford normally mm-hmm. and we visited uh, initiatives were taken we visited each other's places of worship and we saw firsthand how our fellow human beings practice their religion mm-hmm. and it removed a lot of uh, prejudices which we preconceived things or what or some things which we had heard about and we suddenly see that these are wonderful human beings who are going about and they have learnt a uh, good human value indeed so baldev you know as you mentioned you you have mentioned um, you have visited um, various different um, religious sites um or, or be a mosque or um, um or any other places of worship so you know do you believe um that um, interfaith dialogues is are uh, necessary to um, establish um peace and harmony in our communities in this day and age Oh yes, very much so. Very very much so. Because I think if we, you know, once we have established this dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it then brings around an understanding and it brings around, you know, harmony and peace then follows, you see. Indeed. Uh, I mean, it it's like this. You know, bricks they build uh, walls. Correct. or you can choose to build bridges okay now in a in in a a prison is a building mm-hmm. but a place of worship is a building it's the deeds it's what happens in these buildings what happens in those which the deeds which happen in these buildings they determine what what it is And when we realize you know when we visit i mean I, i we visited some church churches here different different denominations we visited you know 
in each religion there is a diversity. You know, if we if we if we take Sikhism, there's diversity in, in that itself. Uh, they all believe in the same holy uh, book. In Islam, there's diversity. There's they all believe in the same uh, Quran, the book, the Bible. People of the book, you know, when you look at them, all of them, mm-hmm. they all believe. And and suddenly, when you realise, when we look at each other's religious literatures and the teachings. And within those teachings, they're all talking about one God. And you and me and the whole of creation is, is, has come about and been created by this one God. Mm-hmm. You know, this one God isn't far away. It's very close. Indeed. And, and the attributes of this one God are, are there. And when we realize that's what brings around the peace, as in, in, in its real sense. Thank you so much, you know, for, for me. Yes, you know, I'm also wanted to ask, you know, have you ever felt um, stereotyped because um, um, the religious beliefs you hold near and dear? Yes, yes. You know, there is a, there is a certain amount of uh, uh, stereotype which is being done. And unfortunately, there are unsavory characters, unsavory elements of each religion who, mm-hmm. exploit, who exploit this. Uh, a very few uh, genuine, as we would say, very few genuine, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the head of, uh, you know, the, the head of the MDR community, you know, he's one of the genuine, very genuine, who, who, who's, you know, Doing away with this stereotype, it, it, you know, in my my own uh, my own uh, experience, I came across uh, Baba Habib Singh. You know, he was the head of the Mankari Mission, you know, and he passed away in 2016. I spent many time, and these, these were people people like these and other very prominent people who said yes. We do have our own beliefs and we do have our own way of worshipping. Mm-hmm. But let us not stereotype each other because that then looks at the negative part. A very few people in community, you know, exploit innocent people and they want to control and they want to have power. And that brings around, and then the public opinion, you know, is is there that, oh, all, all these people are blinging, uh, belonging to this one particular group, they're, they're all violent or they're aggressive or they're fanatical and that sort of thing. And it's only a few bad apples, you know, which, uh, which um, uh, damage the rest, rest of the barrel. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we're talking about just leading the conversation on in regards to uh, free freedom of speech as well. Now, free speech exists when people are actually able to express their their opinions. Now, we're we're discussing the importance of having conversations between different faiths. But at what point do you feel as if freedom of speech can actually be unacceptable? I think I think when it when it compromises the you know, the unity and diversity, when it brings around that, uh, you know, if we, let's, let's just look at creation. 
you know, of different flowers, they don't argue with each other. Different animals, they they coexist. Okay, it's, it's mm. only the, it's only the human being, you know, who who sort of uh, you know maybe doesn't understand his and he has an ego problem or something like this, you know. Mm. And uh, you know, we we live we live in a, a country where you know this freedom of speech is is um, compared to some other countries in the world where we enjoy great Britain. Uh, the uh, freedom of speech, we can say things, we can do things, and very, very tolerant here. You know, there's a very tolerant situation. Yeah. And this, this then invites in people to be understanding each other, you know, and to accept each other as they are. Uh, and this, I think, when it when it comes, you know, collectively, I think some of us, you see, uh, if if um, we don't, if we don't speak out and condemn people who are wrong, then then unfortunately the wrong elements succeed. So it's very important for us to stand up and and say something is wrong mm-hmm. when something is wrong to to exercise our freedom and say, well, this isn't right, you know. Uh, and the majority of the world, you know, there are. It, compromises of some very wonderful people, wonderful human beings, and it's to recognise that. I think this is where interfaith and organisers like this, you know, uh, MD community and other, other organisers, you know, are working very hard to bring around this uh, understanding in the world. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Well, Dev, thank you so much for joining us this, uh, this afternoon, t- telling us, you know, enlightening us with your expertise uh, and your thoughts uh, as well and uh, you know just thank you thank you so much um, and have a lovely day it's a very it's a pleasure and you know uh, I must say you know your program I do listen to different uh, podcasts and different uh, you know especially the live ones you know Mm. you guys both of you 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 are sad you're sad that's me I'm sad yes okay yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay so you, you both of you guys doing a wonderful job thank you so thank much you. And, thank and thank you very much thank you very much for having me on and, uh, thank you so much for joining us may, may god uh, bless and uh, may the channel prosper uh, be successful pleasure. Humble, humble prayers exactly thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much, much. Oh, oh, a pleasure what well, a pleasure to speak to, to speak to Bardev uh, Hinda Yes, there as well, and uh, you know, such enlightening words and exactly. nice praise exactly. to us also. Zakla for that also. Absolutely, you know, it's always great. Um, going back to the topic, you know, speaking with uh, mm. people, for example, like Baudet himself, and understanding what interfaith dialogue is all about. You know, as he has mentioned, internet about interfaith dialogue. Yes, that is about coming together, finding the common ground. And this is how you build actual bridges. And then such a beautiful way he has mentioned mm. uh, about the brick. Brick can build walls. Yeah. And then it's just that little pause. And then he said, but a brick can also build bridges. Mm. So I was like, wow, this actually that hit me. And I was like, yes, that's actually, as mm. you were mentioning before, but it's such a beautiful way of mentioning it also with, with, with the um, eulogy of, of the brick. Exactly, and that's that's why we have you know the, uh, these um, um, guests so 
they can um, enlighten their wisdom to us and also the listeners um, who are listening to um, Islam today. I mean, that's what it, that, that, that's, that is what it's all about as well. Correct. Um, he mentioned one thing which was, uh, you know, very much in accordance to what uh, the Holy Quran says as well. Now, in chapter 3, verse 65, Allah the Almighty says that, Say, O people of the book, come to a word equal between us and you. And what, what is that? That is, Allah the Almighty says, that, that we worship none but Allah, and that we associate no partners with Him, and that some of us take not others for lords besides Allah. This is uh, verse 65 of chapter, chapter 3. Now, this means that that common ground is something that we need to find. In that common ground is that we worship God. And, you know, uh, Baldev mentioned uh, that so very, very eloquently. Um, we do worship one God, and this is something that we have a common ground. And with this, we can put all of our differences aside. doesn't matter what religion that we may belong to. doesn't matter where we come from. doesn't matter what is the color of our skin. This is something which is common between between all of us. Now, somebody asked His Holiness, uh, the, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him. Now, somebody asked, if, if you're given the power to put peace in the world, how would you sort of, you know, how, how would you go about that? So let's listen to what His Holiness uh, said in regards, to, in regards to this question. If you are given the power uh, to put peace in the in this world, how would you go about it? Well, I think God has already given me power to do that. <laughs> because uh, it is Ahmadiyyat which has been entrusted with the task of establishing peace in the whole world. And that is why peace is related to the concept of Hazrat Imam Mahdi in the tradition of Hazrat Muhammad So peace will ultimately come. But how and when, that is the question. As far as the power goes, power never establishes peace. Mm -hmm. Power generally corrupts people and uh, I wonder if ever power has been an instrument of bringing peace to the world, except when it is in the hands of the godly people. But then, even then, it is not the power. It is the power which comes after the peace has been established. You see, that is a very important difference which you must bear in mind. Hazrat Muhammad Rasulullah brought about a dramatic change in the thinkings and attitudes of the people which he brought up under his benign care and uh, divine guidance. Now, these people had achieved the peace of heart, peace of mind. They were in peace. They were the people who could bring peace to the world. So it was not the power which brought about this change. It was humility and persistence in, on the right path, on the, on the following of the right path, which brought about peace to a society which was later on entrusted by God to take the reins of the countries around in their hands. Now when that happened, we say we see a bifurcation, unfortunately. After the Khilafat Rashida, what we see what happened was that uh, those who were entrusted with the peace from the religious point of view were not in power. Those who were in power 
were only caliphs in name. So as such, no peace ensued. The society remained restless. Every time you read the early history after the caliphate, it, it is so, you know, punishing, I mean, it's so disturbing. One feels chagrined to go through that chapter in Islam. So, again, the reason is power, not <laughs> the peace which was brought by Hazrat Muhammad Rasulullah because those people who were trained in that and who really deserved to be the leaders in the faith after the caliphate, were deprived of power, and uh, peace was related to them wherever they went in the society. They went also beyond the borders of Arabia and uh, went even as far as China. So no arms went with them, no military might was responsible for the great revolutionary changes taking place in Indonesia and China. So that is how we can historically establish the fact that the peace does not rely on power or sword. Peace relies on the great internal revolution of the people who follow peace and then who are capable of spreading peace all around them. Indeed, you know, His Holiness has mentioned such great words regarding peace that it's about internal reformation. Mm. And this is it's not through power, but through your inner self. And this is how you can spread peace also for Exactly, exactly. Now, one thing which, uh, you know, one of the things which the Ahmadiyya Muslim community actually does, and one thing that we're actually known for, is for the unique approach to interfaith dialogue. Indeed. And that is the, you know, the, the, the peace symposiums that we have, the peace conferences, the peace symposiums. And all these open open door events as well, uh, where we invite people to the mosques, whether they're local people, whether they're dignitaries, whether they're members of parliament or uh, professors or whatever uh, status as they have, to come here, to listen to us, to talk to us and to better understand what our belief is. And obviously to give their belief and their, their thoughts uh, uh, as well and how to establish peace and how to establish tolerance between one another. Correct, you know, um, His Holiness has a Bizamusuru and may Allah be his helper, you know, may Allah strengthen his hand. He himself um, has worked tirelessly in, in promoting you know, uh, this peaceful means of um, interfaith yeah. um, peace and harmony. In in fact, in 2004, um, yes, he yeah. launched the International uh, National Peace um, Peace Symposium. And which we see every year, which been which been happening except one year, which where, where COVID hit us unfortunately. Yeah. You know, in which you know guests come from all walks of life, um, where they come together to exchange ideas on the promotion of peace and harmony. You know, each year this uh, peace symposium um, attracts many serving ministers, parliamentarians, and um, politicians, religious leaders, and um, all um, other dignitaries also. Yeah. Then as in, in 2009, His Holiness um, also launched the annual Ahmadiyya Muslim Peace Prize, uh, a, a, a prize for the advancement of peace, yeah. you know, which is an international peace, um, peace, award, peace award for individuals or organizations that have demonstrated an ex- extraordinary commitment and service to the cause of peace and humanitarianism. Wow, that's a long word. <laughs> is, is it something which uh, which the community has actually started as well? And Correct. even even on the annual annual conventions, like you mentioned, that we do give out the the you know do you announce that as well. 
and the, the you know the the peace symposium that we hold we have a sort of a peace prize which is holding a started as well indeed so it's something which which promotes peace as well and 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 recognizes other people other communities other individuals um which are promoting peace uh, as well wherever they are let's speak to our next guest who's on the line with us Vandana Day who's gra- who graduated in finance and works in the civil service and she's an avid reader spending dedicated time reading uh, scriptures and sharing their teachings with others as well. She uh, enthusiastically gets involved in interfaith work because she feels that it creates a safer space um, to to share what is common among faiths and allows for a better understanding of respecting differences. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us afternoon and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, just to just to begin with, do you think that having a faith or a belief system is actually necessary? What does your faith sort of mean to you in regards to you know faith and understanding other people's faith as well? Great, great question. Um, I do feel faith is necessary, um, and I don't necessarily mean in God because obviously we have a variety of listeners, people who are on a variety of spectrums, from those who do believe strongly in God all the way to, you know, maybe being agnostic or even atheistic. But faith is necessary, I feel, just to get through life. For example, when we visit the doctor, we have faith that they're going to take care of us and give us the right advice and the right medicine. When we're at school, we have faith that the teachers are passing along the correct information and uh, really want us to get a good education. So I feel like faith is necessary in all aspects of life, whether it be in God or not. Very interesting. Um, talking about interfaith dialogue, then, uh, how important do you think interfaith dialogue is? Um, and do you think it's at all needed? I mean, in a society that identifies more and more um, as agnostic or even atheist, as like you mentioned, we have different people from different backgrounds and different faith groups. Do you think that interfaith dialogue is actually necessary or not? I mean, um, if I understand agnostic and atheistic to be correct, so agnostic, agnostic kind of like, they're kind of not sure whether God exists. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe they haven't looked into it too much. And then obviously the atheists are those people who may not believe in God or they may be upset with God for some reason. So I believe that as a society, as as society is moving more to being agnostic and atheistic, I feel it's more important that we have these interfaith dialogues because some atheists are there or people who are agnostic is because you know, maybe they look at faith and they see, okay, well, you're believers in God, but you're not getting along and you're arguing with one another. Or even some of the biggest wars that have been fought on on the earth have been over religion and things like that. So when they see that, they may think, okay, well, what have we got to learn? So it's important for us as um, people of faith to come together to show open dialogue with respect and philanthropy and set a good example of what peace is. And that can only be done when there's a mutual understanding, when there's a safe space for us to get together and discuss our faith and remove stereotypes and understand each other a lot better. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's becoming more important. So I think it's definitely um, good to do that. And uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the Holy Scriptures, uh, Book of Wisdom, uh, the Song of God, uh, Krishna states, when we're on this journey of spirituality or God consciousness, we start to see each other uh, in the same way, we don't differentiate between uh, skin color, creed, religion, um, nationality. We see each other with equal vision. So I feel that's a very powerful thing um, that mm. that is achieved through interface dialogue. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, similar similar to what Islam pe- uh, preaches and teaches as well. Um, 
When you know we live in a world where you know there's so many, as you mentioned as well, there's so many different faith groups and there's people from different backgrounds, and people, you know, people hold very strongly to their beliefs as well. It's important that 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 we don't sort of hurt people's sentiments as well, and it can be a very sensitive topic for 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 many different people. But I want to ask you, how can we sort of make sure that our interface conversations are done in a respectful way? And uh, we avoid any any sort of you know hatred or something. We you know we obviously we don't want to say something that might hurt the other person uh, as well. Yeah, it's it's a it's an important point because uh, because of the sensitivity. Sometimes people don't have those conversations because they're worried about offending someone. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's important to get the correct training because if one is not careful with their words or how they come across, it may agitate others who may, you know, have come across to share. So I feel that, in, you know, that's, that's very important that the training is there. Um, and healthy interface conversations actually happen when there is, you know, a sincere dialogue between one's faith. And when you come in, when you come to the table of a interface kind of gathering, uh, it, it's important that all the leaders fully understand that, you know, nobody has a monopoly on god you know god mm, is like exactly. he's beyond he's even beyond religion it's like these religions these differentiations are maybe you can say they're man-made you know ultimately the bhagavad gita teaches us that we are the soul we're like a spiritual entity uh, that's trapped in this body and ultimately the our relate you know our purpose of life is to have a relationship with god and develop that and once we understand that then we can we can see past whatever religion anyone is following and understand that we're all we're all actually worshiping that one supreme god you know once exactly. we can understand that then i feel like it's a, it's a, it, it everyone comes with sincerity to the table everybody comes in a respectful way and they understand actually if if i'm insulting you know and i'm saying this with um with a uh, air quote mm. but if i'm saying oh your god is like this or how do you practice religion towards your god and my mm. god then it creates barriers. You know, yeah. there's only one supreme God. There's no such thing as your God and my God. You know, that's us kind of separating God into these different individuals. He's that one personality that we're all worshipping. So if we're insulting someone else's so-called God, then actually we're, we're being rude to our own God. We're disrespecting or blaspheming our own God. So once we can understand that, the sensitivities don't need to be worried about because you have that deep respect anyway for each other's faith. Yeah, I mean, very, very wise words, uh, very eloquently put there. So, I mean, if there is just one God and we are worshipping the same God, doesn't matter what you may call or I may call the God. I mean, if there is only one God, we have different ways of calling our God, which is the same God as well. Um, exactly, and he's unlimited, exactly. right? God is unlimited. Exactly. So he has multiple names. It's not that he just has the one name. He has mm. multiple names and people of different faith, you know, call out to him with different names. So, um, you Absolutely. know, and that's the beauty of it. That's the that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Absolutely, very very eloquently put there as well. Um, when when you know when you're involved in a lot of uh, or you have been involved in a lot of interface dialogue as well for for quite some time now, uh, which is you know a very positive thing. Um, have you seen any sort of positive changes and how sometimes maybe people may be apprehensive at first, but then once they have that meeting, once they have that dialogue. Then they actually realize that you know what we we're actually quite quite similar. We're not actually that different. Um, so, have you seen any positive changes in, in this regard that you can share with us? 
Yeah, so, I mean, speaking of, like, within these dialogues, there, there's a lot of um, similarities that we all bring to the table that we can discuss, and yeah. those are the more common interface discussions. But recently, over the last few years, I've actually been having, um, like, different types of interface dialogues where they're talking about the differences. Uh, and one of them that really comes to mind is the concept of deity worship or versus the concept of idol worship right. and i know that's a real that's a really really misunderstood um kind of principle amongst all the faiths especially if you divide it between abrahamic and dharmic faith hmm. so interestingly enough i've been invited to a lot of mosques recently over the last couple of years to right. speak on this topic uh, and I was a bit surprised myself. I was like, oh, okay, this is a topic that doesn't normally get spoken about. We we brush it under the carpet. Mm. But it was so beautiful because the audience was open-minded, the group was open-minded. And just to understand the topic from a t deeper scriptural perspective, that what is the content, what is the difference between deity worship, authorized um, worship, and idol worship, which is like a made-up made up image of God that you're worshipping, and um, it, it just really brought everybody together because it was kind of like the elephant in the room that nobody was discussing. Mm. Um, so that was really nice. And then what happened was we actually had some um, people from the Ju uh, from Judaism stepped up and they spoke about um, uh, Prophet, Muhammad, uh, Prophet Abraham, yeah. peace be upon him. And they said that, you know, it's interesting that you speak about this because in our, in our Torah, they actually speak about deity worship as well and how it... Um, was eventually stopped by Abraham because people were misusing deity worship. They didn't understand it, and they were just taking any image to be a worship of God. Uh, and so it just really brought up a dialogue, and they just felt like they understood, um, you know, Hinduism or Sanatana Dharma a lot better because of this, um, rather than it just being rumors that people whisper to each other that, oh, you know, these Hindus are idol worshippers, and, mm. you know, they make up images of God and they worship them. Whereas yeah. speaking from a more, like, scholarly perspective from the scripture, from scriptures that have been given by God himself, it really cre created a wonderful, um, wonderful dialogue and people came up feeling a lot closer, uh, closer to God and understanding one another a lot better. Absolutely. So that's definitely one of the positive outcomes. There's been many others also. Um, I mean, that is, that is, you know, a very big achievement as well. I mean, getting, you know, it's just like you mentioned, there is, there is something that, you know, we know that is there, it's the elephant in the room, we're just not talking about it. But then once we put that on the table, we do talk about it, and then we can actually sort of understand one another in, yeah. a, in, in a better, in a better way, but a positive way as well. You, yeah. you mentioned that you were invited to other mosques as well. You're, you're more than welcome to come to our mosque as well, which is uh, the Beth of Mosque, which is in Morden. Our gates are always open. If you if you haven't been invited before, then you're officially invited now, anytime. Uh, but, That's very uh, kind of you. Definitely, <laughs> we can we can arrange something. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but thank you so much for for joining us today on our show and uh, enlightening us with uh, some of the great work that you're doing. Hopefully, that that you know uh, becomes more fruitful in the future uh, as well. Thank you and good luck. Wonderful. Thank you. I just pray that we can all continually. Um, uh, kind of really come together and uh, raise awareness and in our own particular journeys towards God, become closer to him uh, mm. and please him by being united with one another. God mm. doesn't like it when his children don't get along. So, mm. you know, the fact that we're all getting along and moving forward and having these wonderful dialogues. Um, mm. So all glory to you and your radio station. Thank you very much. Thank you so Thank much you for joining. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Yes, absolutely. So that was Vandana Day. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's so reassuring you know, to, to actually listen to, you know, people who actually have the same belief as us that there is one God. 
Correct. And we believe the same thing. I mean, there is, if 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 you know, both of our guests today they spoke about this as well. That if we all are believing in that one God, why do we have these differences? We have so much in common. The Holy Quran says this as well. That let's put the differences aside. You know, th- there are some nitty gritty things that there are other things. You know, the branches. We put that branches aside. The main thing is that we worship one God. You, you know, we may call him Allah. You may call him something else. The other person may call him something else. We're believing in the same God, and there is one true God. Then let's put our differences aside and come together and please him. Just like she said as well, Vandana said that let's do those things which please God, and that was very beautiful right Indeed. there at the end as well. You know, Shajil, you know, as I remember that Eladi uh, Maj has mentioned this in the Holy Quran that he has created men. Just for the worship um, for him, yeah, right. Yeah. So we are we are here to please Allah the Almighty. We are here to um, fulfill the rights of of of, of Allah and fulfill the rights um, fulfill the rights of of the mankind, of mankind well. which He has created for us. So exactly. This is it's not if you want to fulfill the rights of the mankind. So that's that can be achieved through peace and harmony, not through um, harsh words or just. Um, you can imagine whatever it is, right? Exactly. I, I don't want to say. I mean, it's, yeah. It's I mean, obviously, yeah. I, the thing is, is that you know, when when we talk about when we talk about it specifically in our community, right? Correct. And the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Now, the the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, who was the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of God, may Allah be pleased with him. When he started the community, he laid down ten conditions that someone who wants to become part of the community, these are 10 conditions, try your best to act upon them, you, you're more than welcome to join the community. Now, the, the, the fourth condition is that you're, you're not going to, doesn't matter how, what passion you might have, doesn't matter what desire you might have, or how much someone might incite to you, you're not going to harm anyone. Correct. And this is the fundamental teaching of Islam, so just like you mentioned, we need to fulfill the rights of God, and we need to fulfill the rights of mankind. And our our previous guest, um, our first guest for this for this part of the show, he mentioned that, you know, the, you know um, that we 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 need to treat others the same that we want to be treated as well. This was the teachings of Islam. Maybe it was uh, the guest right now, uh, Vandana. But uh, they mentioned something like this, and this is exactly what the teachings of Islam are: that you treat others like you want to be treated as well. Correct. And you don't harm anyone else by your whether it's by your tongue whether it's by your hand even thinking about doing something malicious something bad to other to the other person that is wrong as well so this is the teachings of islam as well. and this is and these all these things are taught by every religion no religion teaches that you know go out there and kill everyone go out there and uh, and uh, steal everyone's food or steal everyone's wealth or you know, take them out of your houses and, you know, put them, exile them and all. No religion teaches that. Indeed, you know, regarding for, for tolerance and uh, his um, His holiness, uh, sorry, the Holy Prophet's peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, okay. And he, he mentioned this, you know, um, 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 or, um, someone asked him, O Messenger of Allah, which deed is the best the Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah upon him, said, patience and tolerance. Yeah. It was said, um, who among the believers has the best faith? The Prophet said, those with the best character. Exactly. So, you know, this that, is... That's what's important, isn't it? That yes. is exactly what's, what's very, very important. Talking about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and interfaith dialogue, 
Let's listen to uh, an audio clip which uh, somebody asked His Holiness about this. And His Holiness gave a very, very beautiful answer in regards to this. So let's listen to that uh, right now. The question I would like to ask is, um, does the Ahmadiyya community favor interfaith dialogue and activity? And secondly, if so, what does it believe can be accomplished by such dialogue and activity? Thank you. In fact, it is the Ahmadiyya community which took a pioneer move in this direction long ago. Close to the turn of the century, it was first invitation issued by Jamaat Ahmadiyya to all faiths for an interfaith dialogue. In fact, uh, it happened even before that, in 1896, the first conference of interfaith which was held in Lahore was at the initiation of the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, Hazmir Zawalam Ahmad of Qadiyan. And uh, the conditions laid down for this participation were very fair, and a new chapter was in fact opened in this direction. Every speaker representing any faith was required to speak on behalf of his scriptures, should not attribute things from himself. And whatever he wants to say should be in praise of his faith, not in critical appreciation of others' faiths. He should say whatever he may please, but with an open mind and always with a reference to his own basic scriptures, and bring to light the good points so that others may understand from the mouth of those who believe in something of what value they have in their mind and what role it can play in the world peace and so on. This was taken up later on by the second head of the Ahmadiyya community, who also happened to be my late father. He started a new series of interfaith talks. We called it Jalsai Mazahib. And uh, in that, repeatedly, all over India, such conferences were held under the same conditions. And they became very popular because many a misunderstanding was removed and more than that, attitudes were rectified. Instead of the mad uh, debates of the previous era, where everybody went for the skin of the other, everybody projected himself as belonging to a faith which was honorable, which was good for mankind, and so on. So in rectification of attitudes, such efforts are known to be fruitful. But beyond that, whether it will really change the face of the earth and will be able to establish peace, I have my doubts. Because this type of religious leadership, which participates in such conferences, has no hold on the masses of those religions they represent. And whatever decent attitude they, they display in such conferences, as far as the common men belonging to the faith are concerned, they are most often controlled and influenced by the zealots or zealots of the faith. 
and they don't like such reconciliations because they thrive on hatred, not on love. So the more hatred there is felt in the hearts of followers of one faith against the faiths of the others, more popular such leaders become. So how to emancipate, how to liberate the common people from the clutches of these vultures, I hope you won't mind my strong word vultures, but vultures it is which comes to my mind because there is no other better descriptive word. They thrive on carrion, human carrion. And uh, it's very unfortunate that they do it in the name of God, in the, na in the name of their holy founders and prophets, etc. Because uh, they present a very sorry picture of religion as such, and they themselves are responsible for bringing bad name to their religion and their leaders. So if interfaith leadership also has some dialogue with the leadership which is really in command, then of course, hopefully, some uh, better attitudes may result from that, reformed attitudes. The second thing is that uh, the peace is far more related to the political attitudes rather than the religious attitudes. More often than not, it is the it is religion which is exploited by politicians. And wherever religion has been found to play any negative role in the world affairs, it has never been able to do it without politics. First, they command sources of power at the political level, then they play havoc with the peace of the world. So what to do about them? This requires more, much, much more than just some dialogues held at, uh, at the level of, that you're talking about, in some peaceful atmosphere like this hall, etc. Because these things do not make a dent upon the political thinking at all. So it is at best a, an academic luxury. Yet it is enjoyable to talk good and listen good is very good. Thank you. <laughs> well, these were the wise words of His Holiness, um, his, the fourth Caliph, Azam Tahir Ahmed. May Allah uh, have mercy on him. Mm. Some really powerful, yeah. um, powerful wisdom which he has um, shared. And obviously we're hitting the end of the hour now, mashallah. Yeah. And the, the time just flew by. It was such a great um, two hours. It was so... Um, intense with knowledge and wisdom by our great um, guest who, exactly. who who came on, on today. I would, like to, well, I would like to thank them for joining us today and letting our listeners especially with um, you know the great wisdom and ourselves also um, uh, what they had to share all about. And uh, secondly, our tech department, Asad, Brother Asad, always great to work with him, you know, the, the, the prompt work he does when you ever need something or anything goes wrong, he's always ready to get it fixed at, at that very moment. And also our producers of, of today's two hours, uh, Kamal, Inam and Khan Sarazak, really great work they have done today also, mashallah, you know, with um, with such beautiful um, um, insight and 
such a great production which was done today and i actually you know it was one of why uh, uh, why i enjoy doing with islam mm. is to learn more to understand and get the um, what's it called experience out there to our listeners hence exactly. we're here today also again and it's and it's a pleasure always to speak and um, have some great work with Sajil Bhai like, and brother Sajil and now we have had uh, uh, six o'clock news 